Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 105. I'm the producer, Victory Clafter. Our host, Brian Ardinger, is going to introduce the exciting guest this week, so I'm just going to plug our Twitter at the IO podcast and website, insideoutside.io, which has some new features you'll definitely want to check out. We have an amazing guest. Uh, Randy Komazar is here today. Uh, Randy, if you're not familiar with uh, Randy, he has experience so vast. Uh, we could probably take the entire show uh, going back and forth on it. But uh, he's a partner at Kleiner Perkins, author of the book, The Monk and the Riddle, which is uh, a classic, uh, co-founder of Claris, uh, legal counsel at Apple. Uh, you've pretty much done it all, Randy. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Randy, I'm so glad to have you on the show, um, primarily because you've got a, a new book out and you're co-author of a book called Straight Talk for Startups, 100 Insider Rules for Beating the Odds. And the thing I like most about this book, and we can get into all the details, is the fact that it covers a lot of the stuff that most startup books don't cover. You know, a lot of startup books uh, cover some of the early stage stuff, but you really take a look at the fundamentals uh, across the board of building a company from scratch. So let's start off the, the, the show a little bit. Randy, tell us a little bit about kind of why you wanted to write this book and, and what are some of the core nuggets in it? Well, I think you nailed, uh, you nailed it right on the head. Um, you know, I have been obviously involved in and advising startups and founders for decades. And the conversations generally uh, are around the topics that are in this book. But those are not the topics that, uh, that other books are written about. And we needed to come up with a format where we could cover a broad swath of topics without um, pulling the reader down the rabbit hole and letting the reader sort of take what they needed when they needed it, uh, read it in any order, uh, and um, return to it as issues came up. And so these are 100 short chapters, two to four pages long, covering these, I think, critical topics about fundamentals, fundraising, boards of directors, liquidity, choosing investors, and uh, it's designed in a way that allows people to get what they need when they need it, to get uh, a hit of wisdom, a hit of insight, and then process that to arrive at their own conclusions. Well, I, and that's what I liked about it quite a bit. And, you know, there are thousands of ways that founders and startups can kind of uh, stub their toes or mess up, and, and, and they're different for each stage of the business. What are the biggest areas that you've seen become problems, seems to be most overlooked by, by founders and startups? As you allude to, right now we're seeing a lot of founders find themselves in the, the wrong place in the media, uh, missteps in their company, failures that didn't need to happen. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're not getting the right advice and counsel. Right. The frenzy to succeed is overwhelming the ability for them to learn on the job and it's also, I think, stretching thin the experience of boards of directors and investors who, like the founders today, have very little experience as they come into their roles in investing in these companies and sitting on their boards. So this experience is, is actually hard to find. 
And the idea here was that we could distill what for me is 30-something years, Tom Perkins, who's referenced in a book, who was the founder of Kleiner Perkins, who's recently deceased, but who also had, he was one of the original venture cowboys. We're, we're taking all of the, of, of the experience through decades and putting it together in a simple way for these founders to be able to find their way. And I, you, know, you ask about, about particular missteps. I think we're seeing missteps all across the board. Yeah. I think in large part, um, particularly in a place like Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley, I think, while extreme, is an indicator of these issues. You're seeing that people are actually founding companies, but they have no businesses. In fact, <laughs> a lot of founding companies really have no sense of business. Right. They may have a, a sense of technology. They may have a vision for a product. They may actually have a problem they want to solve, but they have little business experience to wrap around those issues. And frankly, you know, the best ideas in the world don't succeed if you're not capable of making them successful in the marketplace. So the idea here was to give them a leg up and to hopefully accelerate their learning and, and give them um, much-needed advice that they may not have in their local region. This is a book that's written really for global entrepreneurs and of all scale. It was written very intentionally that way. We took out references to big infusions of capital. We took out references to cultural norms. We took out all of that and tried to bring it right back down to where the rubber meets the road, which is starting a business. Right. And I like that about the book from the standpoint of, again, it kind of takes you through the entire journey. So as a early stage startup, if you're grabbing the book to kind of uh, kind of start your journey, you can kind of read through the whole book and kind of get a, a view of what the future could hold, uh, knowing that, you know, you're probably not going to get to uh, things like achieving liquidity for a while. And, and those particular topics may not be 100% relevant to you, but it kind of gives you that um, grand overview, that 30,000 foot view of some of the things you should be prepared for when you do hit that uh, in the particular part of the road. Yeah, that was our intention. And the idea of giving people a holistic view of what the whole process would look like, mm -hmm. and then letting them focus on the areas that are relevant to them. You may not be getting liquidity in your first startup. You may yeah. do it in your second or third startup. But the idea that you have a sense of what it takes to get from A to Z and how all the pieces fit together will make you a better entrepreneur. Well, and I think some of the things that are core that people think as a further down the line kind of things like managing your board or whatever can really be applied early on in a, in a journey. As you know, as soon as you have that first board or advisors to the to your um, company, you know, thinking about that at the you know from day one, so to speak, can really give you a leg up on the competitors as well. Oh, you're so right. Uh, it, you ask about the mistakes that entrepreneurs can make. I think very few entrepreneurs understand what a board of directors is and what it can do for them. Right. I think they assume that these are the judges and confessors. These are the people who they need to placate and, um, and hopefully take along for the ride rather than thinking about them as their brain trust, as their mentors, as the people who can help to develop them and to accelerate their business simultaneously. And that means choosing the right people. It means running board meetings the proper way. We actually have, you know, very nuts and bolts um, advice about what, it, what, a, what a board of directors 
meeting agenda should look like. Mm -hmm. And then we also talk about what you should be looking for when you choose a board. And we talk about the conflicts that can happen on boards. All those different dimensions so that you've got a, a, a 360 view of what your responsibilities are and where the particular problems can arise in order to make sure that they don't. Question I had was, so you have a hundred rules out here, and, and obviously there's probably thousands that you could have included in there. Are there particular rules that you've that were like 101 or 102 that you wish you would uh, have included in the book, or something in the sequel that, uh, you know, looking back now, it's like, oh yeah, these are some ones that I'd, I'd like to talk about as well. I'll tell you, I could have kept writing this book forever. Um, <laughs> And uh, Jean-Tun Regersman, my co-author, who is just a terrific guy, Dutchman with experience in high finance at places like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, CFO of a public company, Leap, down in, in Southern California, he brought fresh eyes. So it's kind of interesting. Um, as I said, this is sort of the advice and discussions that I have all the time with the entrepreneurs I support or the entrepreneurs I advise. But I'm a bit like a boiled frog. I've been doing this for 30-something <laughs> years. I, didn't, I couldn't have picked out of my pockets the, the um, salient issues to build a book around. Mm -hmm. But John Toon, with fresh eyes, his first CFO job in a um, Silicon Valley-backed business, he kept coming into my office with a variety of questions that um, we thought everybody should listen to the answers to, that these were not just his questions, these were universal questions. And he's the one who instigated um, the book and pulling together these, what we call nuts and bolts topics. Now, if you ask about the sequel, we've actually actually thought about what would we write next? And I think about these as nuts and bolts. This is sort of uh, the fundamentals, uh, choosing investors, raising money, managing boards, achieving liquidity. There's also the people and organizational side. What right. I think about is the thread and needle of the business. And a lot of what I do every day is help my entrepreneurs resolve those issues. Um, and there are certainly a hundred or more rules we could put together that I think would be universal and helpful to entrepreneurs in that realm. So that's just one area we've been thinking about expanding the, um, the book to. You mentioned this briefly, but um, talking about you know the rise of startups, um, it's not just a valley phenomenon. Uh, you're seeing things like you know Steve's cases, uh, rise of the rest, and uh, global accelerators, and and rise of startups outside of Silicon Valley. But yet there's some some magic still in the valley. In that, how do you see that kind of that trend kind of playing out, or what are the differences, and how does this book kind of play to entrepreneurs both inside and outside the valley? Well. I, I think that entrepreneurship is um, prevalent everywhere on the planet nowadays. The internet and the economy have driven entrepreneurship from the high practice points of Silicon Valley and New York and Boston to um, every small town and region across the planet. And I spend a lot of time speaking outside the United States on these topics. Mm -hmm. So 
entrepreneurship is now part of the fabric of the economy. I, I would really think about it no longer as the um, the startup phase of large businesses. I think about it as an industry in and of itself, the innovation industry. And it has its own quirks and its own peculiar challenges. I believe that the high practice of entrepreneurship is something that is hard to instill in these fledgling entrepreneurial communities because they don't have the years of experience and they don't have the resources, particularly the, the um, advisors, mm-hmm. investors, directors to draw upon. And so when I, I was just, for instance, I was spending some time this last year in New Zealand speaking um, to government officials and to investors and to entrepreneurs, and I came away with two big insights, um, but they're not surprises. The first was the quality of the entrepreneurs there were every bit as good as the quality of the entrepreneurs that I would find in a place like Silicon Valley. But what was missing was that they didn't have the mentorship and experience to draw upon to, um, to take bold moves, to, um, to be able to resolve large issues of strategy and globalization, to understand how to organize their company and their teams and manage appropriately. They did not have that advantage. And that made them just enough slower um, against their competitors in a place like Silicon Valley that they weren't going to win those battles. And I actually think we can solve that. Um, I think that Straight Talk for Startups is a tool created to help even the playing field. Level it so that entrepreneurs, whether they're in Nebraska or whether they're in Berlin or whether they're in Silicon Valley, can benefit from experience that is getting all too hard to find and that can help you avoid the missteps that lead to failure. I agree 100%. I mean, I think that idea of you can start anywhere, um, but that ability to scale and, you know, I look at, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs in around the Midwest here, uh, you know, they get to a point where they need to hire fast and and there's just not that talent that has done it before, um, where, you know, if you're in the Valley, there there's there's both good and bad about it. There's, there's that constant uh, churn of people who have uh, gone from startup to startup and kind of grown and, and built up things. Uh, and there's just not that, that density of uh, experiences that you would find elsewhere. Having said that, like you said, there's, there's tools and people and, and things that are, are reaching out beyond the Valley that are, are changing the landscape for entrepreneurs anywhere. So uh, I appreciate you, you being a part of that and thinking more global uh, in and around it. Are, are there any things um, that you think from, from the, what you outlined in the book that are kind of universal, um, are, are all these kind of rules universal or, or does a lot of this apply to the kind of the Valley way of starting, growing venture capital, um, way of building a business? Well, we do talk a lot about access to venture capital and, um, and not necessarily all in laudatory ways. I think one of the chapter titles is don't accept venture capital unless you absolutely need it. And we point out the the shortfalls and the pitfalls in um, uh, funding your business with venture capital. We're certainly funding it at the wrong time with venture capital. So I think that particular um, discussion 
may seem like it's mostly relevant to uh, places like Silicon Valley, but I don't believe that they are. I think that the that venture capital, institutional investors, are a part of the um, fabric of these innovation cultures everywhere nowadays. Money is very fungible, and in, you know while we see these huge successes celebrated in the press, like you know Airbnb or Tesla or you, you know, Facebook, just go through the list. The reality is that most businesses will never achieve that scale and that most companies and founders are going to be better served by just building a very strong business that grows and develops around the needs of customers rather than the needs of capital. And when I look at the scaling issues, particularly in places like Silicon Valley, the thing that strikes me is, and I've asked myself this question many times. In fact, I've, I've got a small booklet I wrote with a friend of mine, Bayard Winthrop, who runs American Giant, a made in America apparel company. And it was all about this concept of artisanal uh, innovation. The idea that scale is not the most important part of building a business. It Scale has, I think, become the siren's call largely because it's what capital wants. It's not what, it's not what people want. People, customers don't care about scale. They care about quality and value. Employees don't care about scale. They care about the quality of their work. They care about advancement. They care about um, fair compensation. Um, if we step back from being mesmerized by scale to focus in on quality, uh, I think that we serve our entrepreneurs and innovators much better. That wraps up this episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Randy and Brian talked some more about things in the book that we just couldn't fit into this episode. So we highly recommend getting your hands on a copy of Straight Talk for Startups soon. And thanks for listening. Until next time, go out and innovate.